Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 31 of the 2017-2018 curling season. This week we are joined by Caitlin Jones and Tyler Tardy, fresh off their victories at the World Junior Championships. Jamie Sinclair and Greg Persinger join us to discuss their teams both winning the U.S. National Championships on the weekend. And we start off with Sportsnet's Mike Harris, who helps us recap the 2018 Briar and looks ahead to this week's Elite 10 Grand Slam. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. The 2018 Tim Hortons Briar took place in Regina last week with Brad Gushu and his team, who were wearing the Team Canada colors as the reigning champions, coming away with a second consecutive Briar win with a victory in the final over Team Botcher of Alberta. Sportsnet's Mike Harris joined us to discuss the 2018 Briar. Mike, we are uh, just a day or so removed from the end of the Briar where Team Gushu just repeated as Briar champions. It was a good game in the final against Team Botcher uh, with Brad Gushu having to draw to the forefoot for the win, but it certainly felt like they were in control the whole game. Oh, absolutely. There were there was uh, never much doubt, was there? I think um, you know they they got their twos pretty easily when they when they needed it. I thought uh, fifth end was was important. I think but the fifth end when they scored the second deuce, you know, Botcher made a pretty good shot to, to lie three, and then Brad and this team just made you know again two really precise shots to score their two, and then once they got up four one. You know the writing was on the wall there, and uh, you know that's just a testament to how good that team is. I mean, they're you know Botcher was playing out of his mind pretty much for the last three or four days. I thought uh, leading into the final, and and uh, you know Brad and this team just were were too good. Is it fair to say that at their best, Team Gushu is the best team in the world right now? I mean, you can make the argument that all four players are the best at their position, and that's really what it takes, isn't it? You know, you look at teams that have been at that level before you know I think of Kevin Martin with uh, with uh, John Morris and Ben and Mark Kennedy you know when they were at their at the peak of their game there you could have made that same statement uh, you know the old field Russ Howard Glenn Howard Wayne Madoff Peter Corner team you know those there's there's teams that there's not very many teams on that list where all four players you could say are are the best of their position but you can certainly make an argument for uh, for team Gushu right now. Was the 2018 Briar the event where Team Botcher took that step to the next level, or do you think it was a case of a good team having a really good week? Well, who knows, right? I mean, maybe the light went off. You know, Kevin Martin and I, and, and uh, we talk about all the time where, you know, there's teams that you kind of wait for, uh, you know, strategic error or something, something funny to happen along the way where, you know, okay, there's that mistake. And, and uh, certainly Botcher wasn't making those mistakes. Uh, during the round robin, especially, and then even into the playoffs, where he kind of was like, "Okay, that's it." But then you look at the the, the the four of them from top to bottom. What they lack that everyone else lacks, other than Gushu, is consistency, right? So there's no reason why any one team on any given day can can win a game. And and uh, their run reminded me a lot of John Schuster's run, actually, uh, at the Olympics. I was I was kept thinking to myself, like, this is a team uh, botcher that's kind of on the fringes, you know, kind of getting in slams, getting in some, not getting in others, you know, but I, I have good moments, but finally kind of pulled everything together uh, for a nice run into the playoffs. And, and they, they reminded me a lot of Schuster's team at the Olympics, actually. 
How impressed were you with the performance by Team Epping at the Briar? They are an experienced team, but the Briar can be a different animal, and John and his team certainly stepped up throughout the week, despite the fact that three members of the team, including John, were playing in their first ever Briar. Right. Yeah, and again, that's another team that's capable, certainly capable, right? I mean, they're, there's another prime example of a team that, that can win slams. You know, they've won three, I think, and or John has anyway, And uh, but then, they, then they'll show up and not qualify, and, and a few others, so... Uh, consistency is always the challenge at the very top level. I thought Matt Cam played great. Um, that was I thought it was a big difference in, in uh, the way that team approached things. But you know, John kind of has that just that cavalier strategy, right, where he's, he's fearless and brings rocks into play. And uh, you know, I, I think the whole weekend unraveled for him when he uh, that obviously the steal of two against Botcher, but they they also I think they made a couple of tactical errors. But that's again that's not anything new for John. You know, that's one of those things where um, they just need to, you know, get better, get more consistent. Uh, but yeah, he played great. Uh, the team was good uh, to go ten and one. I think it was a ten and one, nine and two in that field uh, was amazing, right? And uh, but not surprising. They're they're good enough, certainly. Now, one of the nice things about the Briars is that there are often some really nice stories amongst the teams not expected to go deep into the playoffs. I want to touch on Mike Forney of Quebec, a guy who's been curling for the better part of four years, has played in more provincial playdowns than he can remember, and finally made it to his first Briar this season. How nice is it to see guys like that getting a chance to perform at the show? Right, well, that's the beauty of the Briar, isn't it? You, just, uh, you, you get to your provincial championship and you have to win. You have to win that one game and... And uh, he finally broke through, and I, yeah, I thought it was nice for him. They played, they played half decent. They, uh, you know, the new format, it, it feels like they were way off, you know, because they don't, you end up not making that championship pool. You feel like you, you missed by a mile, but in fact, they, they had chances to win games uh, earlier in the week. But you know, the separation between those top three teams in each pool is pretty significant compared to the guys that aren't kind of out there full time. So yeah, I mean, they did just about as well as as they, you know, they should have, I thought, and yeah, it was. Hopefully they enjoyed their experience because it's uh, you you just don't get there that often. So I, I can attest to that. <laughs> you know, it seems that uh, you know someone who's only played in one briar. I think uh, uh, yeah, you, you take those opportunities for what they're worth, and and uh, you know, hopefully they enjoyed the week. One of the complaints that some people have about curling these days, fairly or unfairly, is that there are not enough quote-unquote personalities on tour anymore. Then every once in a while, a Greg Smith makes it to the briar and grabs everyone's attention because of his enthusiasm and the fact that he's demonstrative when he plays. His team won one game, yet he'll be one of the players that people will most remember from the 2018 briar. Could curling use more guys like that, or do you think that it's simply a case that not enough people see many of the players on tour on a regular basis and that in fact there are a lot of personalities on the tour i think in, in greg's case it's just a question of seeing him for the first time i think i don't think that's a fair statement i think all the all the teams that we see week in week out on the slam tour people know those teams fairly well they know brendan botcher they know john epping they know mike McHugh, and they know reed Crothers. they know how they are so i think a new face is, is something that um that 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 happens at briar right that that's something i said when you get someone coming out of their out of their province for the first time, and, and you meet them, and they they have actually have a personality, and are willing to jump in and, and answer questions, and and they said they 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 understand the uh, the value of uh, being themselves out on the ice. I think that's really important. But uh, you know, I think that Briar gives an opportunity uh, for that, where maybe the slams don't. You know, I said there's there's teams, it's hard to get into the slams. You know, it's harder to get into the slams than it is to get into the Briar. If, uh, that makes sense, and and uh, but I think there's plenty of personality out on tour. You know, you just I think what we're seeing is is a new face, and uh, yeah, I, I'm happy 
to uh, to get uh, you know new new players introduced to to the fans because I said it's all one one big family, right? Curling it is curling is, and uh, the more people we can get out on uh, on tour and getting getting them uh, well known, I think the better. The two-pool format, which they use at the Briar and Scotties for the first time this year, certainly did not get much positive reviews from players at either the Briar in Regina or at the Scotties in Penticton. One complaint is that you end up with a number of mismatches early in the week. Could that not simply be fixed by ensuring that there is at least one game in as many draws as possible that features a matchup between two of the top four seeds in either pool? Sure, but then you look at the championship pool, how many blows were there in the championship pool as well, right? So... I don't know that that yeah yeah in theory that's going to help. I actually like the format of the Briar with the with the two pools. I think uh, as someone who's a uh, top level, you know, they think of, I know Brad Gushu was a little bit critical of it, but all the only teams Brad didn't play were the four bottom teams in the other pool, right? So I actually quite like the format. If you have to go sixteen teams, which I think for there's a couple of probably logistical reasons within curling Canada, they need to have all the territories involved and. So if you have to go to 16 teams, I actually think the format's really good. Could they schedule the games better? Possibly. Yeah, but but the, the only thing I don't like is what they're doing with this end-of-the-week seeding pool that, you know, teams that, you know, they played that last game around Robin on the Friday morning, I think it was, to, to seed them for next year. But, you know, if you don't get the right teams winning the province, the pools could be totally mismatched again anyway. You know, I think what they need to do is just go, once the Briarfield is set, just seed them by CTRS rankings rather than saying, you know, they already know next year who's going to be in which pool, which I think is a, is a, is a, could be a potential mistake. You could get a situation a little bit like that of the Scotties where the, I think the A pool versus the B pool, all four teams that came out of the A pool ended up in the playoffs. They went 14-2 and two against teams in the other pool. So I think they really need to be careful with who gets seeded into which pool um, and you can do that, but I, I actually quite like the format, and yeah, sure, they can schedule it a little bit better, but that's still not going to guarantee you any uh, no blowouts. The, the, the other thing that that will cause is you won't see the lower-ranked teams ever on TV, right? So, you know, if you're going to have one of the top two teams playing against each other each round, you know, TSN's not going to be airing, TSN's not going to be airing, uh, you know, the territories playing against Nova Scotia uh, when you've got Alberta playing you know, Manitoba on the sheep beside it, right? So I think you'll see a lot of the top teams. I want to move on from the briar for a moment and talk about the Elite 10, the next event in the Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling this season, which is coming up this week in Winnipeg and that you'll be covering for Sportsnet. The Elite 10 uses a match play format. For those in our audience that aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about the format and the type of play that it generates. Yeah, so the match play, is basically like uh, the scoring is done like skin game. So you're either trying to take two or you're trying to steal um, in order to win the end. And uh, so in an eight-end game, what you want to do is be able to win more ends than your opponents do. So, But it's, it's similar to a golf. So if you take two in the first end with the hammer, you're now one up with seven ends to play. And, uh, you know, you, you try to get two up with, with two to play and get kind of go dormy, whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, it's, it's basically a skins format. It's a little different. We do it mainly right after the weekend after the briar. Uh, that's been kind of the traditional day. It gives the guys who've been playing in, in you know, the Briar and Provincial Playdowns uh, a little bit of a, a, a change. I think there's a little less pressure to kind of maintain that high level of consistency in this format. And if you give up a big end, you know, the game's not over. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's different. You know, excited to announce that next year we're going to have a women's uh, division as well, and the dates are going to move out. They'll be announcing that on Sportsnet uh, 
next week uh, what, when, when and where that will happen. But, uh, yeah, it's, I, I actually quite like the format. It's a, it's a little different, but you said, and, and when you first tune in, it certainly uh, takes them getting used to how the scoring is going to work. And finally, Mike, the Elite 10 will be the first event since the Olympics for teams including Schuster, Adin, and Cooey. What are you expecting from those teams at the Slam this week? Well, I think when you talk about those three teams, certainly you've got one team coming in on a crazy high, <laughs> right? And, and who, uh, you know, again, that, that, that win by Team Schuster kind of changed their lives. And, and then you've got Cooey and Adin who I think are going to really struggle a little bit to, to kind of find their mojo. Um, Adin's got to kind of get ready for the world. I know, and Kevin Cooey is kind of is now kind of a farewell tour for Mark Kennedy, isn't it? These next uh, next three slams for for that team, where uh, you know I'm sad to see uh, Mark is retiring, and uh, but you know I think I think uh, they're so talented, both Adin and Cooey. I mean, I don't they're going to win their share games just because of how good they are, and and uh, but sir, I think you know I can only talk to my experience from after the Olympics. It's really hard to kind of get up for anything, right? They've been they've been spending four years of their lives trying to get ready for uh, the event in Korea a month ago, and, and now they kind of have to kind of, okay, we're, now what, right? That's kind of, that's, that's kind of an, uh, you know, an ongoing attitude that it's, it's really tough to shape. So hopefully uh, they'll find a way to kind of get things going, and, and uh, as I said, their talent's going to take them a long way, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful they'll, uh, they'll, be, uh, they'll, they'll bounce back strong. As the 2018 World Junior Championships took place last week in Aberdeen, Scotland. And when the dust settled, the Canadian junior men's and junior women's teams were world champions. Caitlin Jones skipped her team from Nova Scotia to victory at the World Juniors less than a year after relocating from Saskatchewan to Nova Scotia. She joined us to discuss her team's big win in Scotland. Well, Caitlin, it's been about 48 hours now. Has it sunk in that you're a world junior champion? Yeah, I think this time it actually sunk in as soon as we won. Um... We were playing really well in the final, and then when I had to go down to throw my last shot, it was really exciting when I knew I had made it. So I think right in that moment, uh, we felt the win, so it was really nice. What goes through your mind at a moment like that when you are in the hack, knowing you have a very makeable shot to secure the world championship? Is it hard to focus on the task at hand? Does your mind start to wander a little bit, thinking about the magnitude of what you're about to accomplish? I was just super dialed in during the final. I just kept thinking, um, just got to throw the shot, just like I know how to do. And um, it worked out really well. So I'm, I, I played really well in the final. And, um, yeah, it was just an incredible feeling to throw that last rock and know that I made it. How did you approach the final against Sweden, the reigning world champs who'd gone undefeated in the round robin, including an 8-6 to six win against your team? Sweden is an incredible team. Like they're ranked what 29th in the world right now. So knowing that we had to play them in the final, it was a little bit nerve wracking, but uh, we played a really good game against them in the round robin. And we just knew that we had to make a couple more key shots um, against them to have a really tight game. And we ended up um, making all the key shots and making really nice hit and rolls and throwing the right weight. And that all came together in the final. You took a 5-2 lead at the fifth end break of the final by scoring a three-ender in the fifth. Did that allow you to start breathing easier, or did you find yourself watching the scoreboard hoping the final five ends would go by quickly? Well, being up uh, 5-2 after the fifth end, you know that there's still five ends left. Like, yeah, if they get a two, they're still in it. Um, But we knew that um, we were all playing super well, that if we just kept making our shots, the the game would be tougher for them. So, yeah, we just wanted to... um, keep it as clean as possible on the last five ends we didn't want to put too many rocks in play um, to end up giving them more than they should and um, I don't know it was just it was um, the last five ends of the game were 
probably the best five ends that we've played all season. <laughs> How much did it help you as a skip in your first World Juniors to have Kristen Clark and Carly Burgess on your team, who were both on the team that won the 2016 World Junior Championship? Oh, it's so nice to have people who have experience at the competition with you. Knowing that they had won it and have already been through this, um, obviously they are really happy to have been wearing the Maple Leaf again, and I was super excited to wear the Maple Leaf. And, yeah, just having their experience um, really helped. I mean, we had a little bit of a couple shaky moments during the week, and um, they were there to calm me down and get my head back in it. And just all the bumps and things um, that we went through, they, they're just really supportive. And even with Lindsay being new to it and having Lauren join us um, as our alternate, we all just were there, know that we should have as much fun as possible and just, just play our own game and don't put too much pressure on ourselves knowing that we have um, the Maple Leaf on our back because it is still just a game at the end of the day and it's what we love doing. We often hear that the Maple Leaf can get heavy, especially in the sport of curling. Did you feel that added pressure of being a Canadian representative at the World Juniors? No, it was um, it was surprising um, to me. I didn't feel that much pressure wearing the Maple Leaf. So, like, it's just wearing like another jacket. Yeah, it has the words Canada on the back, and you have the Maple Leaf on you. But um, it's just like playing in any other competition because it is just fabric that you're wearing on your back. And finally, Caitlin, I can't let you go without asking you about the travel adventure that you and the team apparently had on your way to Aberdeen for the World Juniors. Yeah, so we had uh, quite the travel day, a couple days actually, um, on the way up. So first of all, uh, we left Halifax a little bit delayed, got to St. John's, and we left a little bit delayed as well. And then when we got to London, we got there at a pretty decent time that we only had an hour layover there. We were going to have a longer layover, but... Since we left later, it was just an hour. And then they boarded us. They flew us to Aberdeen, but they had snow showers. So we weren't able to land. So they told us that we had to circle in the air for a little while. And if we get an opening um, or an opportunity to land, we would. And we didn't get an opportunity to land. So the um, pilot said that they were going to take us to Manchester. Turns out we couldn't land in Manchester either. So we went to Liverpool and landed in Liverpool, and we sat on the tarmac for about three hours, and then the pilot was just talking to um, the people in the airport, I guess, and they said that um, we should go back to London. So we flew back to London and probably sat on the tarmac in London for another three hours. So we were on that same plane for about nine hours with no food, (laughs) so that was not very fun. Um, And then once we got off the flight, they said that, um, basically we had to fend for ourselves and turns out there was no hotels in London at the time. So we were lucky to get a hold of the Team Canada boys and they had five rooms at their hotel. So we ended up um, sleeping in one of their rooms for us five girls. <laughs> so that was ridiculous, but we made it work. And then the next day we waited in London airport for pretty much all day. And we finally got to Aberdeen at about 10.30 at night. And it was just a long 50 hours of travel. And then, yeah, they canceled the pregame, pre-event practice. So nobody got to throw any stones. But we were just happy to be there at the end of the day. And we knew that everything happens for a reason. So even though that happened, we shouldn't get down on ourselves. 
Tyler Tardy and his team from British Columbia entered their second consecutive World Junior Championships as one of the pre-event favorites, and they lived up to the billing, winning the final against a host team from Scotland a year after failing to qualify for the playoffs in their first appearance at the World Juniors. We caught up with Tyler Tardy following his return from Aberdeen. Tyler, I guess the obvious first question is, how does it feel to be a World Junior Champion? Pretty spectacular feeling. Uh, ever since I watched, I think it was Brendan Botcher win the juniors back five or so years ago um it's been a dream of mine and uh once we won i i couldn't even believe it i want to start by taking you back to the final against scott and then let's start in the 10th end when you were up 5-4 and were left with a draw to the forefoot for the championship can you walk us through that particular shot and what happened yeah i was actually feeling pretty good i uh i uh, was actually feeling draw weight quite a lot that week it was probably my go-to shot draw to the forefoot but um in the final, I think uh, the ice was about maybe a second or a little more than a second slower than the whole week, so it was a little uh, challenging in the final game to pick that up, but uh, I think the guys did that pretty well. I uh, thought maybe my adrenaline was pumping a little, so uh, I tried to kick a little less, but uh, I, I felt happy with it, but uh, I guess it just slid a little more than we were expecting. I thought we threw the, the weight we were looking for, but um, yeah, just a little, little deep and yeah, I tried to get rid of that thought of we just missed the shot to win in juniors as quick as we can, and I thought we did a good job of that. And yeah, carried it on to the next end. I'm always curious about what athletes talk about between ends after a shot like that. What did you do to retain your composure, especially in front of a crowd that was clearly cheering for your opposition? Yeah, we have a pretty uh, standard in-between end conversation, so uh, I think we were pretty uh, comfortable with the conversation we had, and we all felt like we were on the same page. But knowing that we can't really change what just happened and uh, we still knew we were playing good and we, even though it didn't necessarily feel like it because we just missed the shot, uh, we did still know we were in control looking at the scoreboard. So, um, yeah, if we, we just had to let it all go and carry it on to the next end knowing that we still have the edge, we still have the shots and uh, we still have the chance to win a world championship. So, last rock, extra end, and you have another draw to the forefoot for the championship. What was going through your mind, and what adjustments, if any, did you make after what had happened in the 10th end? After we missed that shot, I was uh, definitely looking to have a second chance at it. Never wanted to miss the same shot twice, so uh, definitely pumped to actually throw the same, basically the exact same shot, just with backing that time. Um, Ross, I think we timed got like a 13-3 on his draw, and we knew it was a little quicker on that other side, so we tried to throw a little less. And it was it was still quick, surprisingly quicker than we thought. But uh, yeah, we um, stayed calm and uh, tried to work with what we had, and yeah, managed to pull it off. Tyler, how did your experience at last year's World Juniors help you the most this time around? I guess you could say we had a bit of uh, jitters last last season, and um, yeah, obviously it was disappointing to just fall short of the playoffs last year but uh i think that gave us a little more drive and um actually motivated us to play in the bigger spiels with the bigger teams and um i think that actually helped out quite a lot uh in learning from them the um, reward management side i think we could do a little more improvement on that over that last season and uh it, it showed at the world as well almost all the teams there were huge on scoreboard management and uh to be honest, I think that made the biggest difference for us this year. 
And finally, your alternate played in some important spots early in the round robin, including playing third in your game against last year's silver medalist from the U.S. Word we got back in Canada was that you were simply trying to get him some reps in case you needed them later in the event, but typically that's not done when you're playing against one of the pre-event favorites. Was there an illness going on? Was Sterling simply not feeling it that day? Or was it as simple as wanting to give Jacques Gauthier some reps? Yeah, um, it, it actually was just that simple. We We just wanted to get him in just in case something drastic did happen obviously it's surprising to hear because of how big the event is but um yeah we heard some rumors actually that there is a flu in our team but no we are all healthy all feeling great and uh we were confident in jock we knew he was a great shooter he was top third all week at uh junior national so and we also know he had a good attitude and he worked with us really well we had some practices before the event even started so uh yeah we just wanted to get him to get a good feel for the ice just in case something did happen that would force us to make a change. And um, I guess fortunately for us, we didn't necessarily need to do that when it was crucially important. But uh, yeah, it was good to have him in there when we did. The 2018 U.S. National Curling Championships took place in Fargo last week. The field did not include Olympic gold medalist Team Schuster in the men's event, nor Team Roth, who represented the U.S. in the women's event at the Olympics, but all of the other top teams in the U.S. were on hand. In the men's event, Greg Persinger of Alaska and his team caused somewhat of a surprise when he defeated Team McCormick in the men's final. Greg Persinger joined from the hack to discuss his team's victory in Fargo. Greg, this was your second U.S. Nationals victory, but your first one as a skip. Did it feel any different, or did you get even more satisfaction this time around, knowing that you were being counted on to make those key shots to close out each of the ends by throwing Fort Stones? It was, yes. Did I get more satisfaction? I, I certainly did. And last time we won the national championship, we were we didn't have enough points to go to Worlds. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot more. This particular one feels a lot better. We, we get to go to Worlds, and yeah, it's pretty awesome. The championship final against Team McCormick was a back-and-forth affair. No one really seemed to take control of the game until you managed to steal a single in the eighth to take a 6-4 to four lead. Was that the turning point in the game from your perspective? You know, I mean, honestly, during the whole game, we we felt like we were playing well and uh, kind of had control. We, we, had, uh, we had a pick stone that... Uh, gave them gave them a two if it wasn't for that uh you know most likely they weren't going to get a two on us and just uh but yes when when we scored the when we stole one eighth uh we i mean honestly felt kind of like the game was over uh because i mean unless they you know most likely we were going to be coming home with the hammer either tied or you know, and what happened is we were up one, you know. So and if, if they blank that in, then, well, we're up two, right? So, uh, yeah, it, it was a huge, huge deal. Your team did not get a chance to compete at the Worlds in 2016 when you won the U.S. Nationals because the point system USA Curling had in place didn't allow it. How excited are you to be heading to the Worlds this season and getting the chance to be the quote-unquote home team in Las Vegas next month? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's it's pretty awesome. I mean, for for us to be going to a world that it's actually here in the states, you know, there's tons of people that you know wouldn't go to a world necessarily if it's some in some other country. But being right here and in, in Vegas, easy for everybody to get to. Yeah, my my family had already been 
I mean, not to say that they thought I was going to win, but uh, they were making hotel reservations before before nationals ever started, uh, just in case. So it, it's going to be crazy there. The uh, fans that we're going to have there. I mean, we've seen on social media all the people that are coming. It's it's going to be awesome. There's going to be a much different energy in Vegas than there was in Fargo for the national championship. So all eyes will be on you with some people expecting you to repeat what John and his team did in Korea. What are you and the team going to do to prepare for the event, knowing the additional pressure that will be on you and the distractions of being the home team? You know, it's interesting. You know, this will be my, well, my second time at a world championship. I, I went as an alternate for Brady Clark's team, uh, what was that, 14, 13? I can't remember off the top of my head. But, you know, I think it's just, for me, it's it's going to be keep everything the same. And I know that there, you know, obviously there's going to be more distractions. But um, it's actually kind of nice the way we have it set up. Uh, Rich being the guy that's calling the game, and uh, I just have to throw the last rock. So, I don't know, take some pressure off of me. And he's kind of the mouthpiece for the team. And I just get to focus on, making my last shots. How important was the addition to your team of a veteran like Rich Ronan? And have you had a chance to pick his brain a little about what it's like to be the quote-unquote home team in a world championship, something he got a chance to experience in Grand Forks, North Dakota in 2008? Uh, you know, we, we actually have not spoken yet about that. I mean, we're just, you know, a couple days away from, from winning. And uh, since we won, I mean, honestly, I haven't really got much sleep and as a team, it's just been mainly text messages about, you know, you know, our itineraries and whatnot. But uh, so, no, we haven't talked about that yet. I'm sure that conversation will be had. Um, yeah, Rich, Rich brings a lot of experience to the team. Um, and, yeah, he's been a great addition. We're, uh, we, we were lucky to be able to pick him up. Until recently, you and two of your teammates played on a team with Skip Brady Clark. For those in our audience that do not follow U.S. curling on a regular basis, did Brady simply take some time off following the trials, or was this a permanent split? It's kind of a hard, hard thing to say, but I mean, we, as a team, we we made the decision to to leave, have Brady not be on the team anymore. And yeah, nothing, nothing against him. We, it was just. Uh, it seemed maybe so that he was he had a lot of changes going on in his life and uh we we decided to leave him and finally greg you weren't the only member of the extended prisoner family to win a national championship on the weekend with your cousin vicky winning her second consecutive title as a member of team sinclair how much fun was it to watch your cousin win in the afternoon and then get a chance to follow her up with a win of your own later the same day yeah no that was it was a great experience you know me it actually kind of you know puts a little pressure on me it's like well she won well if I don't win I mean <laughs> I'm gonna look bad in front of the family here <laughs> so but no uh love her to death we uh she's put in a lot of hard work over the years and uh, you know, lives down in Minneapolis for for curling season just you know so uh, but yeah it was awesome to win the same day and be able to share that experience with her was was amazing in the women's event team sinclair won their second consecutive u.s national championship by defeating team christensen in the final it was a strong bounce back performance by team sinclair coming off a disappointing loss in the final of the u.s trials last november we caught up with james sinclair a couple of days following her team's victory in fargo 
And that does it for this episode of the From the Hack podcast. My thanks to all of our guests. We will not have a regular podcast next week as From the Hack will be on site at the Women's World Championships in North Bay, Ontario. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at From the Hack for all of our updates from the Women's Worlds. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack. <laughs>